Psalm 141 reads, Lord, I call on you. Hurry to help me. Listen to my voice when I call on you. May my prayer be set before you as incense, the raising of my hands as the evening offering. Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with men who commit sin. Do not let me feast on their delicacies. Let the righteous one strike me. It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Even now my prayer is against the evil acts of the wicked. When their rulers will be thrown off the sides of a cliff, the people will listen to my words, for they are pleasing. As when one plows and breaks up the soil, turning up rocks, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes look to you, Lord my Lord. I seek refuge in you. Do not let me die. Protect me from the trap they have set for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Lord, we cry to you because you are the one in whose hands our lives sit. God, we lift up the church across the world and ask that you would glorify yourself in your church. Whether it's by living or by dying, Lord, that we would glorify your name. Strengthen the church in places where it's hostile. Awaken your church in nations such as ours where complacency is set in. Let us be a people that is bold, that speaks truth and love, that shows grace and lives holy. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through your word this morning to accomplish all these things. Lord, teach us now. We ask that you fill BJ with your spirit, that he would speak powerfully, Lord, because it is your words and not the words of men. We thank you, Jesus, that you've given this text to us, and we submit to it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the enemy is very mighty. The enemy is very strong. We're seeing his work all throughout our world right now. And the evil intentions of our heart are very deep-rooted. And so we need the strength, the supply from a God who is more powerful than the enemy and a God who knows us well enough to know where those roots go. We need both of those. And so today, as we finish the Lord's Prayer, as we come to the end of the Lord's Prayer, that's what we get to deal with, temptation and the enemy. Uh, I'm really excited to be finishing the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, I actually asked Mike, you probably noticed I've been up here a lot for the Lord's Prayer. I asked Mike if I could, (laughs) because the Lord's Prayer um, a few years ago Um, transformed the way that I pray. Transformed the way that I pray because I got to the point by practicing the Lord's Prayer in what some might actually see as almost um, ritualistic, but my heart wasn't for the ritualistic. My heart was to understand why God wants us to speak to him this way and, and converse with him this way. I started to discover little pieces throughout this prayer that are so key for every aspect of our life. These are things that we are supposed to have on our minds and in our hearts every day 
with every individual situation and conversation that we have. Everywhere that we go, everything that we do needs to be filtered through the heart of God, and the heart of God is revealed in this prayer. So we're going we're gonna to look at the final piece, but before I get to that, I do want to take a little bit of an overview at the whole prayer. Because going through, um, you've heard the term, hard to see the forest for the trees, um, sometimes when you go through really slowly and you're looking at each individual branch, we'll say of a Christmas tree, that's a decent analogy, each little branch of a Christmas tree and you see all the beauty of it, little branch offs, the little pieces that make up the whole, sometimes you need to tie it off in order to take it home and unpack it. Sometimes you, you can miss the whole tree, the whole picture, if you're just focused on the little branches. So I want to do a quick little overview the first half of the Lord's Prayer, the first half that we've, that we've already gone through, is fully focused on God and his kingdom. It's the first half. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is all focused on God, completely. And we are intended to make God's goodness and purpose our goal every day every day his kingdom his goodness his purpose is in, is supposed to be what our goal is for the day for every situation for every conversation we need to have in order to do that we need to have a strong sense a strong understanding of his goodness and purpose which leads us into his word. Our prayer is fortified by the knowledge of his word. Because every piece of our life, every situation in our life, if we are seeking to further God's kingdom with it, we're going to need to know how God sees the people in the situations and how God desires his kingdom to be built. Starting our prayer with that sense should take our minds off of ourselves and should filter our response to God with humility. It should also give us joy and energy. I don't know about you guys, this is something I've noticed about myself. Is that the more clear a goal is, the more joy and energy I have to tackle it. Confidence, joy, energy. If the goal is clear, I can dive in and just go at it. Just tackle it. The way I came about this realization is actually remembering back to my childhood, which is something I do often when I was developing as a young, young lad. One of the main chores I had as a kid was to clean my room. Very simple task. But it was to clean my room. And in my mom's mind, that included putting away all the toys, making my bed, and putting away my clean clothes. All of that was part of this general term, clean your room. All of that was necessary. The biggest problem that we had was that we had a lot of toys. <laughs> like a ton of them. Enough to cover all the carpet in our room. Now, if you're thinking weird flex, dude, <laughs> let me explain. My parents weren't rich. 
That's not why I had a ton of toys. I was the fourth of five kids. <laughs> I had a lot of hand-me-down toys. Plus, back then, you couldn't fit all your toys on a hard drive. <laughs> There's no video game console containing all your toys. It's not really how it worked. Even the video game consoles had a cartridge for each game. We had linking logs, Legos, Beanie Babies, and Happy Meal toys from McDonald's <laughs> that were worth about 10 cents, but you paid about five bucks. <laughs> and all of that took space. It looked chaotic and overwhelming. When you'd walk into my room, you couldn't see the carpet. It was chaotic and overwhelming. So the first time my mom said, clean your room, my thought was, I got to pick up these toys. That's the issue. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me if the bed wasn't made and the clothes were still in a stack because I picked up all the toys. That meant that there was a lot of back and forth, me thinking that I'm done and my mom sending me back to do more. <laughs> Coming in and why is this closet still open? What are these shoes doing? Like, There's more to this. To her, it seemed very simple. Clean your room, it should look completely tidy. To me, I didn't understand all of it. I knew the toys needed to be picked up, but I didn't get the, the first time that the bed was supposed to be made, that the clothes were supposed to be put away. Simple task of cleaning my room was made difficult by my not understanding the goal, by my not understanding the end goal. Nowadays, if you ask my mom, or if my mom asked me to clean a kid's room, I could find the task very trivial, I think. <laughs> I'm at least moderately confident that I could accomplish the task on the first try. Don't ask my wife about it, but I'm pretty sure I could do it. But that's because I know her vision. I know what she pictures as a clean room, and I have the discipline now to work at it until it is clean and tidy. And in the same way, the more I read and understand God's word, I understand where his goals are in every conversation, in every situation, because I see the big picture. And so my prayers are stronger than they were. They're stronger than they were from the knowledge of God's kingdom, that first half of the prayer. The second half of the prayer, if you were to break the prayer into two main parts— Here's the idea. If the first part is God's kingdom and all of his goodness, all of his greatness, all of his holiness, all of his righteousness, then the second half of the prayer is all about asking God for what we need in order to accomplish the tasks of working for his kingdom. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The reality is that we are never going to be able to accomplish God's goals in our conversations and situations unless God himself supplies us, forgives our sins for us, guards us from temptations, and protects us from the evil one. We need all of those things in order to effectuate it's not even us effectuating it. In order to be a piece of God's effectuation of his kingdom for all of his goodness, all of his glory, 
all of his righteousness to be prevalent in our world, we have to be filled by him, guided by him, forgiven by him. He has to do all the work. He has to empower us. He has to be the one that protects us from temptations, our inward evil desires. He has to be the one stronger than the enemy. To put it really simply, to tie off the two ends of the Christmas tree, if you will, so you can fit it in your car and take it home, God's kingdom is to be our purpose, and only through God can we accomplish our purpose. So our passage today is actually Matthew 6, 13 through 15. You'll notice in your scriptures that means we're ending the prayer and we're actually going to, um, we're, we're going to go back. Jesus is going to do an appendix, if you will, and go back and highlight or magnify one specific part of the prayer. So we'll get to that. But the last portion of the prayer is verse 13, which says, And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. I want to uh, keep reminding that this prayer is meant to be spoken um, in the uh, group sense, us, we, our. The whole idea is that we should have this overarching sense of the whole church accomplishing God's will on the whole earth. And the more we have that vision in mind, the more we start to see and, and react to every situation according to what God's purpose would be. But first off, let's make a distinction here, because he, he says temptation, and something that gets kind of sticky and gets confused, I think, sometimes, is the difference between temptation and a trial. Because in Scripture, we'll see that um, trials are used and they for our good, and they should be counted as joy, as we have heard. And a temptation is something a little different. It's internal. It's our evil desires rooted deep within us. My, what tempts me might be different than what tempts you. We're unique in that sense. We all have our own evil desires. We're all human in the flesh. We all have our temptations, and they might be different from person to person. James 1 lays it out for us, uh, verses 2 through 4 of James 1. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's for our good. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Trials, outward challenges that can strengthen us. Further down in James 1, though, in verses 13 through 15, he says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That is what we are to avoid. These temptations, it's not about the trial. The temptations that, um, the trial that we are in there are evil desires that we have internally, which can quite often be revealed by trials. It's when we're being tested by fire that quite often we give to our temptations. But it's not the trial that tempts us. It's our own evil desires that tempt us in the trials. 
Understand the distinction. God allows us to go through the uh, trials to strengthen us against our inward evil desires. That's the goal, to build up the strength to fend off our temptations, to be able to put an end to our temptations, to recognize, it's another thing trials do, brings those temptations and those evil desires right to the surface. It reveals them in us and allows us, if we are humble enough, to recognize them and make changes. And here's the best part. This is the cold glass of water on a hot day, if you will, which we might want after building the fence. Or the cup of hot chocolate on a cold day. I don't know what's comforting for you, but for me, that's like top of the, top of the list. Not only does he not tempt us, God does not tempt us. He won't allow the enemy or any in this world to tempt us beyond what we are able to withstand. And that's a promise from him. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also, and all of you probably heard your mom say this at one point in your life, provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. My mom would use that all the time for um, convicting us of our sin. God gave you a way out, why didn't you take it? That's pretty hard. (laughs) That hits pretty hard. So then, my dear friends, he says, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. God gives us a door every time we're tempted. That's scripture. He promises that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, even providing the door, if necessary, for escape. And that's something that's really, really important to understand about temptation. According to scripture, every time that we fall to sin is our fault. Every single time, according to scripture, there was a way out. Every single time we fall, it's on us. Nobody to blame. Us. Could have been prevented. Not only could it have been prevented, God was the one who provided the way. He's above every human. He is without fault. So we can be confident that there was a door. And we were capable of walking through it. If only we fled, if only we resisted. Resist the enemy and he will flee, flee from temptation. Choices were given. The more I pray with this, this knowledge and this mindset, the more I start to see the ways in which I was given a way out. And you do. You start to see the ways you were given a way out. If you start to look for them, you'll see the moments that you could have walked away. I've begun to see where, where God intervened. Where I was given a chance to walk away from a conversation or leave a situation or stand up and say no. You see, in a, as I've been praying this over the last few years, more and more I see those situations. And more and more, by the grace of God, 
I see them before now. For years, it's been looking back and realizing there it was. More and more I pray this, and more and more I look on this world with God's heart. I start to see before I do the thing, or before I say the thing, or whatever the situation is, I start to see the hint of, oh yeah, God gave me a way out last time with this. There it is. I can open that door and walk right through it. I can turn around from this conversation right now. I don't have to go to this situation. The purpose of the prayer given by Jesus himself, who lasted against temptation, against literally the enemy, while he was at his physically weakest point other than his death. This prayer was given by that guy. He knows. And it is to daily prepare our hearts to stand for God instead of sin and to run out the open door that God has given us for escape. And that's the end of the prayer. It's the last thing that he tells us to pray for. doesn't mean it's more significant or less. That's just it's the final thing. And so I want to read this prayer to you guys aloud. Um, I want you to listen to the prayer. I'm going to put some of the key words up on the screen. It's given by Jesus who taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one You can't pray those words and mean them with anything other than humility and low of spirit, low of heart. All the Beatitudes without mercy in your heart for others. All of these Beatitudes that Christ has been saying. You can't say these words and mean them unless you have those Beatitudes in your heart. All of them reflect in this prayer. We have to bring ourselves down and acknowledge that God is the one who fills and not us, that his kingdom, his purposes, we did not conceive they are his own, and that we are so weak in temptation and against the enemy that God is the one who has to rescue us, that we were so incapable of saving ourselves that God is the one who had to forgive our debts. You cannot pray these words without the Beatitudes in your heart. That's the end of the prayer, but we still have two more verses to deal with. And Jesus does something interesting here. After, After giving us the prayer to pray, he goes back and highlights a specific portion of the prayer. One specific little bit from the prayer. He picked out one thing. He highlights and expounds on it. Look what he says. 
verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Obviously, he's referring back to what we would call verse 12, which was, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Mike mentioned that, so I think Christian read it, and Mike, Mike expounded on the, the parable of the two servants and how ridiculous it was, the one who was forgiven a lifetime, like say a billion dollars in our language, something unpayable was forgiven all that and wouldn't forgive somebody a day's wages. And how absurd that is. But I think there's a deeper level of absurdity here. As I've been studying through this and thinking about what the overarching idea of this prayer is, the fact that God's kingdom is supposed to be on our hearts, and what is God's kingdom? It's us. Forgiven. That's me forgiven from all the sin in my life. That's all of you forgiven for all the sin in your life. Every little mistake. That's his goal is to forgive us our debts. And so when we don't forgive others their debts, we are marring the face of his kingdom. We're holding ourselves up above others. We are putting our sin that Christ had to die for above others. And not loving them enough to seek God's kingdom and God's will, which is that they would have their debts forgiven completely. So that we would one day stand in heaven in one spirit with someone we used to call an enemy. Since I've been in ministry, there have been a few times amazing moments with some of the best men and women I've ever met in my life in this room where I've, I, I've felt in one spirit with one goal. I've prayed until my heart ached with the hearts, with Ellie, with Mike, with Christian for things. And we could see this, this we could feel this one spirit, this one mind, and it has always been for his kingdom. That's where we get one spirit, one mind. And his kingdom is that we would affect the lives of our, in our community so much so that they find forgiveness of their debts. In this day and age, it would have been a very shocking statement. It still is. But you think about what the Israelites were living under at this moment. They were under Roman rule. And the Romans were ruling because they forcefully took over. They forcefully took this land that was given to the children of Israel by God. In their minds, they had every right to that land. The Romans had no right to be there. To be called to forgive and then to be told that your forgiveness is important in your salvation 
would just be shocking to these people sitting on this hill with, with Galilee behind them, looking at this humble man who's not even anything special to look upon, telling them that according to God's kingdom, you have to be able to forgive. That's shocking. We need to understand in this way is that we are living our lives with a struggle and a brokenness. A struggle and a brokenness that God and God alone is able to um, work perfect things through us. Our forgiveness of other people's debts is always in this flesh going to be marred by the faults of this flesh. We're not ever going to forgive perfectly in this life. We are not ever going to um, accomplish any piece of the Christian walk perfectly without struggle, without falter. The marked difference between a true believer of Christ and the rest of the world is that we have tender hearts like King David did. That we are open to God's correction. That we are open to um, God's leading in our lives. That when we realize we struggle with things like forgiving others, it breaks us. And it causes us to want to forgive others. The unbeliever doesn't care. Doesn't care that they're against God. They love it. They enjoy the fact that there's somebody that they don't have to forgive. I would just say this. God used, Jesus used strong language, and he was God, is God, used strong language for a reason. It should rock us to our core if we don't care whether or not we forgive others. It should rock us to our very core. He used strong language for a reason. I don't want to make this unclear. Some people see this as a way of you'll lose your salvation if you die without forgiving a brother or something like that. All the context of Scripture, Jesus commands us to, again, turn and repent, again, ask for forgiveness, again, walk down that road. None are righteous, no, not one. It's not about works. His point is that if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, it should bother you when you can't forgive somebody, when you enjoy not forgiving somebody, when forgiveness isn't an issue in your life. It should bother you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As we close, um, I want to open up a brief time of prayer. Just some silence. Um, If you're somebody who struggles with the idea of forgiveness, forgiving others their debts, or perhaps the first portion we talked about, which is temptations, evil desires in your heart. I just want to open this up for us to deal with those specific things.
There's people, I'll be honest with you, there's people in my life right now that I struggle to forgive. The closer they are to home, the harder it is. And we have to be able to get past that. And it, and it wrecks me that I struggle with this. Because as I sit down and I, and I think back on the gospel, and by gospel I mean Christ's sacrifice for my sin, I can't hold on to it. No matter what they've done to me, I can't hold on to it. God wants to forgive their debts. He wants them part of his kingdom, just like he wanted us. So I'm going to give us some quiet time, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll worship. in my life who love you that I have a hard time forgiving. There are people who don't love you who have a hard time forgiving. And you've called me to both. I ask that you forgive me my debts. Soften my heart. as I forgive others their debts. For this congregation that I'm so, just so elated to be back with after a week off, I just pray that there would be joy in this room with the realization that we can let go of things because you won. There's nothing anybody holds over me that you haven't conquered I just pray that that would be a joyous release from us today to you and that you would be honored by our praise and worship because you are so worthy and the fight you have given us is so worth the fight. Be honored by our conduct and our words and our worship to you, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.